If you wouldn't mind joining me and turning in your Bibles to John chapter 15, we'll be in verses 9 through 14. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are thankful that you are our master. We are thankful that uh, as we look to you and as we hear your call, your invitation to follow after you, um, that you are calling us into what you are modeling yourself, that you are calling us into a life of sacrificial love, something that you put perfectly on display for us. So we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you will guide our thoughts, that you would open our eyes as, you, as the refrain that you commonly say, Jesus, um, uh, that we would see that those who have ears would hear. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning um, uh, the good news and your invitation to come and apprentice ourselves under you. We love you. Amen. It's the first century in Samaria. The early church has just scattered after the stoning of Stephen under the supervision of a man named Saul of Tarsus. As the church scattered, so did the surrounding regions like Samaria pay close attention to this little band of Jesus' followers, his apprentices, his disciples, as they called themselves. They watched and they paid attention to how they spoke and how they acted in power. Picking up in Acts chapter 8, we read this. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, turning a few pages in your Bible to the right, we come to the Roman city of Ephesus. Once again, we read, quote, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, quote, In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish 
chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Flash forward now nearly two millennia to 1938. A man named Dr. Henry Jones Jr. embarks on a quest to find his lost father and along the way to find what his father was looking for. An item, an ancient item that promised salvation to whomever could lay their hands on it. Through toil and struggle and the competing interests of the Third Reich, Dr. Jones reaches his father and reaches the item of their mutual crest. In a moment of discernment, Dr. Jones, also called Indiana, chooses the true grail from amongst the many false ones. His reward, eternal life. And now in our present time, there's a reader board uh, along I-90 with a simple inscription. Simple, yet it's a snapshot of our time and our cultural ethos. It reads, mindset is everything. If you take this statement and you plug it into a Google search, you will find books and motivational posters, but most specifically, you will find guarantees of success and happiness. In short, you will find life to the full. Now, you may be asking yourself a question. What do these four stories or instances have to do with one another? The common denominator of all these stories is the dream that has been on the minds of human beings for millennia. It's the ability to do magic. Now by magic, I do not simply mean what we in our modern day would call sleight of hand or what history has called sorcery or the dark arts. All of those would be included, however. No, simply stated, magic is defined as outcomes that we desire will be achieved without us or at the very most without asking very much of us. It's Simon attempting to buy the Holy Spirit with money. It's the seven sons attempting to cast out demons in the name of someone they don't actually follow. It's the dream of Indiana Jones wrapping up eternal life in his hands through an object. It's modern mindset philosophy, promising shortcuts to the easy life through products, technology, life hacks, and positive thinking. In short, humanity loves a good shortcut. How can I buy my way to wholeness, buy my way to the good life, and get it over with? How can I get what I want without giving much of myself in return? Unfortunately, the church is not immune. This dream of achieving the outcomes we desire without asking very much of us has seeped in to the way of the church. We also, as the church, want to skip over any real effort or cost and just get the good stuff. Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace, where one could ascribe to a belief or even a statement about Jesus without expecting their lives or their lifestyle to change very much. Simply, without it costing anything. We've created a version of Christianity in which Jesus is the truth but not the way, in which we ought to believe the right things, but not necessarily do the right things, in which cost and obedience are dirty words that need to be swept under the theological rug. 
In short, we want to receive the end goal of eternal life for the cheapest possible price and go back to living the American life. We've made the call of Jesus shallow and our life with him and one another has become shallow as well. Because we always want shortcuts. We want to have our cake and eat it too at the lowest possible cost. If we come back to the passage we read this morning, John 15, we, we want to read this again and we want to sit in the words of it because I think there's something for us here this morning. What I want to call your attention to is the invitation that Jesus extends to his apprentices, and that is an invitation of joyful obedience. Listen again to the frequency of Jesus' directives. Remain. Obey my commands. My command is this. Love each other. Do what I command. Now, I recognize that in a Western world that we have a reaction against these words. We've been trained to be anti-authoritarian, to submit to no one, and to despise the word obedience. But notice that Jesus isn't creating a new Mosaic law. That never really worked. Instead, he's inviting his disciples into a new way of life. In fact, he's inviting us to join him in the type or the quality of of life that he's already enjoying with the Father. Listen now to Jesus' cadence, the cadence of his invitation. He says this, As the Father, so have I, now you. Obey, just as I have obeyed. Love, just as I have loved. Like any rabbi or teacher, Jesus' call and invitation to accept and follow for the is for the apprentice to mimic and mirror their lives after the teacher. The master's call to obedience was rooted in something that the master himself was already doing. Earlier in John 5, Jesus says this, I only see what the Father is doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. Excuse me. In trust, Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and now he turns to his disciples, and he offers the same thing, to obey, to submit. It's his invitation that he states elsewhere, like in, chap- in Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. Again, his yoke is not an arbitrary set of rules. It's a way of life. It's a way of being human. Frederick Dale Bruner says it this way, A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. Jesus means that obedience to his yoke will develop in us a balance and a way of caring life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Jesus invites us into his way, his life rhythms, or the details of his lifestyle. He calls us to learn from him how to shoulder the load of this life in the new humanity in the kingdom. Dallas Willard describes the easy yoke as this, living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall life style. John Mark Comer adds, the Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. 
it's not just a set of ideas or what we call theology or a list of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. It is that, but it's much more. It's a life based on that of Jesus himself, a lifestyle. That doesn't sound like magic to me. Sounds quite a bit like what Jesus was also known for saying. Quote, if anyone wants to follow after me, you must deny your own way, take up your own cross, and follow me. Jesus offers an entirely new, counterintuitive way of life. One that looks like death, but it's actually the best way to live. So, he says, trust me. See the way I've been living in obedience to the Father, a life full of love for others, a life poured out for your benefit. This is the life I'm inviting you to. It's the best way to live. And my command, singular, is simple. Love one another the way I have been loving you. That's it. The Israelites had 613 laws from Mount Sinai. Minimum. You have one. It's the only command listed in the entire Gospel of John. Join me and the Father and the Spirit in this relationship of self-giving love. Love each other the way that I've loved you. And if that sounds intimidating, consider this. One, we are doing it with him and in his power. Jesus is yoked with us. The Spirit is inside of us. Paul says it this way. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Number two, the life of love becomes easier as we practice the way of Jesus, as we live the way he lived, as we mimic his lifestyle. If you live like the, the average secular American and you're busy and frantic and stressed out and worried and rushed, then loving others with this selfless divine love is really, really hard. It's maybe impossible. But as we learn to live as Jesus lived, we find our capacity to love increase. Enter Dallas Willard's haunting line, our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, and suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail, end quote. And third, consider the alternative to self-giving love. We can withdraw, we can self-love, we can live like everyone else, but we won't be fulfilled. The cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. It's a wasted life only to stand before God in the end with nothing to say. In the end, only these three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. And yet we often trade the things that will remain for the things that won't. Now consider Jesus' alternative. Our deepest human desire is to be loved by God and to love him in return, and to be loved by others and to love them in return. It is easy for all of us to walk in obedience to Jesus by loving one another as he has loved us. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. 
but consider how beautiful this is in practice. The cost of loving others is high, but it feels so good to receive God's type of love through others. Brothers and sisters in Christ who know you, accept you, and who will walk with you in your darkest hour. In a world where loneliness is rampant, people are starving for this community and belonging. And yet, apart from Jesus, we don't know how to create this kind of community that we long for. As a church, leaning into this community of self-sacrificial love, we will act as a prophetic witness against the culture and draw people to Jesus at the same time. In a world obsessed with magic, the quick, the instantaneous, and the costless, Jesus' invite to joyfully abide in loving friendship with him and to live a life of self-giving love that cuts in stark contrast to the value system of the world around us. Is it costly to obey, to follow, to love? Yes, a resounding yes. It's going to cost us saying no to our way and any other way that promises to deliver on the good life. He calls us deeper. He invites us to entrust ourselves to him right now by following him into his way. Next summer, we are going to enter into a time as a church where we will be deeply studying the practices or the disciplines of Jesus in his way. But for now, the invitation is this. Think deeply about your life and consider the following. One, in what ways am I already loving my brothers and sisters well? Two, in what ways is Jesus calling me deeper into receiving and giving love? And three, is there anything I can identify that's holding me back from that invitation? As I um, was reflecting this week on my own life and just even just our community as River's Edge, I think one of the things when I was thinking about the first one, in what ways we're already loving our brothers and sisters well, I think we do a very uh, uh, readily and natural job at uh, whether it's missional communities or meal trains um, or uh, people gathering together and praying over one another. I think last Sunday was a good example of that, how we're willing to kind of just drop our agenda and drop what we're doing to kind of deviate from our typical schedules um, and love each other well. Um, again, this is uh, oftentimes through MCs, whether that's pulling together and providing for uh, young lives or whether that's going to people's homes and uh, I know several of you have been shoveling or, well, not, not mowing lawns anymore, um, but previously mowing lawns, uh, things of that nature. So I think we do uh, that one really well as a community. But for myself personally, as I reflected on two and three, um, I think I'm just struck, especially on the second bullet point there, in what ways Jesus is calling me deeper into receiving and giving love. I think the biggest thing is... Um, what Jesus describes here in John chapter 15, that uh, greater love is this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And it's just that, it's that reality that Jesus calls us to follow him into his way of loving others. And it's very costly. It, 
it costs us saying no to our way and um, to doing whatever the heck we want. And so for, for me, again, very like type A regimented, my schedule, like I really enjoy my schedule. I really like sitting down on Sundays and mapping out my week. It's the idea, I think, for one, of cultivating like margin into my schedule so that I can like actually step away and love people well. But really, it's for me, it's looking at how he's calling me um, and to uh, love more deeply and anything that's holding me back. I think it's, it's, it's my agenda. It's wanting to do uh, what I think is um, best or uh, needs to be done. Um, and it's prioritizing people in front of that. So um, these are the three questions that I want us to sit with. Um, Sarah's going to come up. Where's Sarah? Sarah's going to come up and start playing a little bit, but probably for like two or three minutes before we start into um, the first song. Uh, we're just going to sit here, and I just want you to reflect on these, on these three. What ways we're already loving, in what ways Jesus is calling us, uh, just like he invited his apprentices then to follow his lead in loving others in a self-sacrificial way. And then three, um, if there's anything that we can put our thumb on that uh, is holding us back from that invitation. So we are um, going to take a few minutes and let the Spirit come and meet us and speak to us and stir our hearts towards greater love for one another. But before we do that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll enter into that time of reflection. Jesus, we, um, we thank you that, like any good teacher, um, you... Uh, you call us to look up, you call us to look higher, to look at you, um, to come and to follow you, um, to come not just follow your arbitrary teachings or these, these rules that um, maybe hint at a better way of life, but you, follow, you call us truly into what you say there at the end. You are my friends if you do what I ask, if you obey me. You're calling us into a friendship into a relationship um, that you have been enjoying since the beginning of time between you and the Father and the Spirit. And it's a relationship, it's a friendship of self-sacrificial, self-giving love. You call us into a new way to be human, a new humanity, a, a new, a different kind of kingdom than the one that we see around us that is all about um, that is all about getting to the top first. That is all about being the king or the queen of the hill. It's a, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, as we say. You are calling us into your way to yoke ourselves with you in your new way of shouldering life. And what does that look like? It looks like death. It looks like costly obedience, joyful obedience with you in laying down our lives for the people around us. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the ways that you are calling us um, to either set aside the things that are choking out our ability to follow after you and to love like you do. Um, but we also want to be attentive to the new, fresh ways that you are calling us into a life of love and obedience.